Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host and it is November. Uh, Boy, the fall is getting by quickly. Uh, Let's see, Arizona spring draw results came out just the other day. I I hope your cards got hit. I hope you got what you wanted. Uh, I was fortunate. My little boy and I, we put in uh, for, well, you know, we, we put in for everything. Um, of course, we didn't get bison, but we did get drawn for both uh, javelina and spring turkey. Javelina is in our go-to, you know, unit. We know all those squadrons. We know where they hang out, so I'm excited about that. And we got our turkey right here in the unit we live in. So I'm hoping we can get out and get some hunts in in the morning, even before school starts. You know, and it's, it's funny... Uh, while putting in these team applications uh, is is super exciting, um, it's also a little bittersweet because um, I'm realizing as, as I'm looking at different hunts and different options that for the foreseeable future, at least until um, he is a young adult, and then of course my daughter is going to be coming into this, um, I'm kind of tied to those guys. Uh, I'm looking at other hunts that maybe I'd like to get out on my own, some archery hunts and stuff, and uh, I'm realizing that, yeah, I, I don't get to do those for a while, uh, but it's uh, it's very well worth it. We have so many great adventures ahead of us, I, I couldn't be more excited. Um, but yeah, just, just a realization um, as, as I was doing that this year. Um, speaking of hunting, I was fortunate to tag out on a beautiful four-corn mule deer uh, this past Friday on on our hunt's opener. When I say our, um, I'd put in with my wife this year. It would be her first big game hunt. And while I got lucky on day one, we hunted the rest of the weekend with no success for her. Uh, But we're looking forward to this next weekend where hopefully we can get her her first deer. Um, We've already utilized mine. We've, We've ate some back straps, seared and butter and a cast iron that was just delicious. Uh, Had a big pot of venison chili and of course the obligatory uh, heart. Uh, I always do it for breakfast. Just cut up in strips and fried up with some eggs. Um, So yeah, doesn't last long around here. So hopefully we can get her one too. All right, let's move on to our podcast uh, today. This is a jam packed but short episode all on water protections here in Arizona and nationally you know as you know uh water in arizona is is vitally important because it's in limited supply and there is a case in the supreme court right now called sackett versus epa um and we are are in in a position that we could potentially lose um, a lot of protections that come with the clean water act this could have devastating results for us here in arizona um you know our small streams that that uh, support our populations of Apache trout, of course, our drinking waters, our intermittent streams. Um, it's all very complicated stuff, but it is super important. In this episode, you are going to get a lot of information um, packed into a short show um, that will educate you on what's going on here and how you can be an advocate for water protections here in Arizona. So please stick around and listen to that. Um, and in the meantime, let's do our volunteer opportunities from our great conservation organizations here in Arizona. All right, um, we got a couple for you here today that are coming up soon. Uh, The first one from the Arizona Elk Society. Arizona Elk Society is always doing big stuff. On Saturday, November 12th, they are having their Wild in the City event. This is gonna be at Ben Avery, the Arizona Game and Fish Department headquarters. So it's conveniently located uh, right in the valley. Um, It's aimed at youth, five to 16 years old. It uh, 
Starts at 8 a.m. registration, then the event is held from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. All kinds of great things for your kiddos to get involved in. Uh, outdoor skills classes include archery, wildlife identification, track making, uh, survival bracelets, owl pellet dissection, wildlife calling, uh, fishing casting, geocaching, gold panning, optics and glassing, and more. I know my kids would absolutely love this, um, and I'm sure yours will too. So please pay them a visit. It's only $15 per youth. That includes lunch and a t-shirt. Great opportunity right there. Next up, Trout Unlimited is looking for volunteers to help deliver eggs. And you might ask, why do they need help delivering eggs? Well, they have this great program called Trout in the Classroom. They provide these classrooms with everything they need to raise trout from an egg to an adult. Um, so it's an opportunity for kids to, one, become interested in, in cold water fishes, um, you know, two, learn a bit about biology, um, ecology, and the natural, natural history of these fish, and hopefully um, grow up to be fishermen and advocates for our, our moving water ecosystems and all these fantastic fish that we have available to us. This is uh, November 14th, uh, Monday for pickup and delivery of eggs. Uh, let's see. It doesn't say where. I'm assuming this is around the valley, but you can contact Jim Walker and ask him uh, at James, J-A-M-E-S dot L dot Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R at Cox dot net. Okay, with that, um, yeah, stick around and listen to the show. It is jam-packed full of great information, um, so you can be an educated advocate for water protections here in Arizona, and I will see you after that show. All right, uh, we are here today uh, with Joan Card, and and we're here. Um, it, it's well, we just passed um, the Clean Water Act's fiftieth anniversary, um, and ironically, uh, the Clean Water Act is also being called into question in the Supreme Court. Um, I guess last month that uh, they heard comments on uh, on a case called Sackett versus EPA, and we'll get into that. Um, but our our guest today is an expert on water policy. Um, so, Joan, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure, sure. My name, uh, as you said, is Joan Card. I'm um, currently a, an attorney uh, with a law and policy firm called Culp & Kelly, and we're based in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, um, although um, our small, um, relatively small group of 10 folks, uh, we work in offices all over the Western United States, um, and uh you know, I've had a, a long, uh, a relatively long career in Phoenix, based in Phoenix, um, uh, for quite a while. I was Arizona's Water Quality Division Director, um, and I was responsible for implementing the Clean Water Act, among other water quality laws, um, at the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. Um, and that's really where I, um, you know, got my chops on the Clean Water Act after that. Um, I did some consulting work on water quality, and then I uh, did a stint at the EPA Region 8 office in Denver, Colorado. Um, so um, most of my uh, water uh, experience is really water quality, um, water pollution control uh, related, and water uh, quality remediation projects. Um, 
So that's, uh, that's where, you know, calling me an expert in the Clean Water Act makes me a little uncomfortable, but I do track it. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. Clear on that. Well, um, it it sounds like you certainly have the chops um, to, uh, uh, it sounds like we have the right person. I'll put it that way. Um, (laughs) And so I'm excited about this because I, uh, you know, this, I'm not an expert by any stretch in, in, in environmental law. Uh, but you know, I work in this area. And, uh, so the idea, what I want here is one, educate myself, uh, but also educate our listeners on on what's going on, why this stuff matters. Um, so I'd like to start, uh, you know, on kind of a, a, a very basic foundation. And that would be like, so in the past, uh, past federal water protections, um, why did we need them and how did we get them? Right. Well, you mentioned the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act um, and uh, in 1972 when Congress uh, enacted the Clean Water Act and the president uh, signed it into law, um, you know, we had major water quality problems with our rivers and streams in this country. Um, The, uh, you know, uh, many years ago, 100 years ago and more, our waters, our waterways were open sewers and they were open to, um, you know, uh, discharges of raw sewage from our municipal sewers, Mm -hmm. our combined storm sewers, um, industrial plants, uh, the processed water were discharging directly into the river. So um, the Clean Water Act was intended to, you know, address that with a um, stringent permitting program, among other things that the Clean Water Act did. Um, and that permitting program is is still in place today called the NPDES program, um, which is an acronym, you know, I'll try not to use too many acronyms. It's, <laughs> it's, an, it's the point source discharge permitting program under the Clean Water Act. Okay. And that's okay. been that's been very effective to clean up those um, rivers and waterways that uh, were so very polluted. Right, right. Yeah, I can't imagine what it was like back then. I, I think, I think we're spoiled today. Um, you know, because this is the norm. You know, for us, um, you know, at least the, us that that aren't very old, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we might be a little, uh, you know, just what's the word I'm looking for here. Uh, well, we've we had t- it we easy for, for too long. Or take for yeah. Thanks. That's exactly what I'm yes. trying to say. I yes. appreciate that. Yes. So you said that, you know, these are the protections we've had. Um, I know during the Trump administration, there were some setbacks. Can you talk about those and what those were? Well, there's been, um, you know, I mentioned this protective, this point source permitting program. Um, this permitting program applies to certain waters. And they, uh, since 1972 Clean Water Act, they've applied to navigable waters or jurisdictional waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, these navigable waters, um, it's a term of law and were uh, further defined um, under federal regulation as waters of the United States. So um, the, you know, so if the permit applies for uh, point source discharges to waters of the United States, these waters of the United States have to be determined. For a very long time, these waters of the United States were determined very broadly in this country. Um, uh, Soon after the Clean Water Act was adopted, uh, the agencies that implement the Clean Water Act, that's the EPA and the Army Mm -hmm. Corps of Engineers, they did a regulation that said, gee, you know, we're going to very broadly apply this Clean Water Act. We believe that's what uh, 
uh, Congress wants us to do. And so really virtually every water, wetland, stream, lake in the country was um, considered uh, waters of the United States. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, it, it's a long history of this waters of the United States, but the recent history is what's really been uh, more imp impactful uh, okay. to uh, really Arizona water quality policy. Gotcha. So uh, no, nothing's changed within the act, but what it applies to is, has been the, uh, the question mark. Precisely. Precisely. Okay. So the Supreme Court and uh, the uh, federal government have both sort of had their hands in determining the scope of these waters that would be protected mm -hmm. um, by this permit program under the Clean Water Act. Um, in uh, uh, 2006, the Supreme Court issued a really important case for Arizona waterways called the Rapanos decision. Um, and in that decision, uh, the court uh, really uh, fairly significantly, although um, it wasn't a majority of the justices and it was kind of this strange um, outcome, but mm -hmm. uh, ultimately it, it kind of for the first time really restricted this list of waters of the United States that were protected under the Clean Water Act. Okay. Um, and so um, that uh, was um, when the, um, uh, I know you asked about the Trump administration, but prior to that, the Obama administration uh, developed a regulation in 2000, uh, 2015 to um, define these waters uh, in the face of that Supreme Court decision. Uh, that was very controversial. It was litigated. Uh, then we had a new president and in 2020, um, the navigable waters protection rule, which is the rule you're referring to, was um, enacted by the Trump administration. Okay, I see. So, so I mean, in the the 50 year history of the Clean Water Act, has has this been an ongoing thing? Recently, I would say um, since uh, you know maybe for the last 20 or 25 years, uh, it's been a more uh, broadly. Um, uh, you know, it's been sort of taken up and it's introduced some controversy and, and some uncertainty um, around the permitting program and the protections uh, and where they apply. Gotcha. I see. Thank It's helpful to have, have that history. So then can you talk to us about this particular case, Sackett versus EPA, um, and, and what exactly is going on with that particular case? Right. So that case is um, it's currently before the United States Supreme Court, and uh, it's directly re related to this conversation we're having about where and how the Clean Water Act um, permit programs apply. Um, and it is being considered um, as the new presidential administration is considering yet another revised regulation. So maybe we can go back to that after we talk about Sackett when we talk about kind of the status quo. Okay. Um, but uh, the Sackett case, um, it involves a uh, wetland, actually, kind of water uh, that's protected under the Clean Water Act. Um, and the Sacketts are actually a couple, uh, a, a husband and a wife, uh, who uh, own property near Priest Lake, Idaho. And uh, when they um, bought that property, I believe in the early to mid-2000s, they 
um, intended to develop a residential a home on the property. It's a residential area, uh, but it was vacant land. And when they started digging, someone complained and said, you're digging a wetland. And uh, EPA uh, got up there and said, yep, we actually think this is a Clean Water Act jurisdictional wetland. You can't uh, dig it and develop it and build on it without a permit. Um, and um, so uh, there's quite a long history of uh, uh, between the Sacketts and EPA, but ultimately here we are in the Supreme Court. The Sacketts are saying uh, to the Supreme Court, this is not uh, water of the uh, United States. And so that's the, the question before the court now. Okay. So, um, yeah, to put it bluntly, and, and I may be inaccurate here, so, so please let me know if I am. Uh, but I heard, uh, you know, at, at a very layman's level that what they're saying is if it does not float a boat, it is it is not worthy of protections. Is that accurate to say that? Well, uh, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think it's definitely fair to say that the Sackets are proposing a very, very narrow definition mm -hmm. uh, of waters of the United States, uh, certainly compared to uh, the the federal government uh, in the in this case. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they. Uh, it, I, I will say that you know uh, there have been a lot of controversies around wetlands as jurisdictional waters because wetlands are often on property, uh, private property that people think is otherwise. You know, we own it. We we should be able to develop it, even if we have to fill this wetland. Gotcha. Um, and so that's been very controversial. Um, frankly, there are not a lot of developable wetlands in Arizona, so the whole mm -hmm. wetland component is kind of an interesting disconnect from what you know sure. what Arizona's geography is really like. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, I guess uh, I'll make two points on this. One. You know, the Arizona Wildlife Federation, while we work on all wildlife, public land issues, habitat issues, um, you, we were we're kind of bounded in, in sporting, so hunting and angling, some of sports. And I will say this, that while we don't have wetlands, as far as the sporting community goes, every duck that comes through Arizona is produced and supported by a wetland somewhere, you know, as water knows no political boundaries, neither, neither do ducks. Um, and further, and, and I'd like you to speak to our small streams and ephemeral streams and how this could potentially affect them. Because, uh, you know, looking at, you know, the Apache trout, a, a species that only occurs in Arizona, nowhere else on the, on the planet, um, you know, as a general rule, supported by very small streams in our state. Um, and to put those at risk, I, I would think could, could, have could have devastating impacts. But could, could you speak to small and ephemeral streams in Arizona? Absolutely. And that's kind of the nut of the issue for those of us who uh, live in and uh, care about what's happening in Arizona. Um, because while we don't, you know, Arizona doesn't necessarily have a lot of developable wetland, and that's not to say there aren't wetlands, but they're just in places that are, you know, maybe on federal lands or tribal lands up in the high mountains. And so you're not talking about a lot of potential for uh, developing those wetlands. But we do have a lot of small streams and ephemeral mm -hmm. streams in Arizona. And what happened with the navigable waters protection rule, that's the rule from 2020 um, that the Trump administration enacted, is that that really um, severely limited the protections for small streams 
um, disconnected or isolated lakes and ephemeral waters. And that's why, uh, you know, people may have been paying attention. Uh, it had such, a, a, you know, the potential for real impact in Arizona um, and uh, on small streams and ephemeral streams mm-hmm. uh, in particular. So while, you know, I, while I think the, the federal policy was to try to deal with the controversies around wetland development, it had this uh, potentially unintended uh, major consequence for small streams and, and, uh, and headwater streams in Arizona. The navigable okay. waters protection rule basically said uh, there are certain uh, headwaters streams, including streams that may support you know, native trout and other native fish, um, and, that the, and that they are not protected under the navigable waters protection rule. That rule is no longer in place, so um, we don't have to worry about that one per se. But of course, the concern is that the Supreme Court in the Sackett case will, um, you know, uh, uh, put these uh, limitations uh, on, uh, back in place and we'll have to deal with those. Okay. All right. So to speak to a broader audience, um, while ducks and, and native trout are important to me, they might not be to everybody else. I don't know why, but everybody enjoys clean water. Can can you just speak to how, you know, taking or loosening protections on these small streams and wetlands can affect just clean water in general for your everyday person? Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, so I always like, I like to think of Aravipa Creek, um, okay. Aravipa Creek. Um, it's a, it's an example of a kind of stream that, um, depending on how, you know, the policy interprets uh, the Clean Water Act, um, uh, could uh, uh, not have clean water protections for, from point source permitting, so, or from point source pollution. So someone uh, could, you know, potentially go out and, um, let's say, just dig uh, in the Aravipa Creek, uh, build a ford, you know, a road through the Creek, Mm -hmm. um, or, uh, you know, kind of worst case scenario, put a, um, you know, some kind of, uh, industrial facility, even a small industrial facility and, uh, discharge from that industrial facility into the Creek. And they wouldn't be uh, necessarily required to have a permit under the navigable waters protection rule, the 2020 rule that thankfully is no longer in place. Um, and so obviously, you know, if you're, uh, say you're downstream of that location, say you're a hiker, um, say you just appreciate the fact that there's, uh, there, that Arizona has these relatively pristine headwater streams and, um, you know, uh, uh, landowners, adjacent landowners shouldn't necessarily be allowed to, to pollute them uh, without, you know, limitation. Right, right. Yeah, I think water belongs to us all. And, you know, I wish I wish all of the listeners, you know, had been to Aravipa to know how stunning of a place that is. Uh, just a beautiful clear water stream full of native fishes. Uh, just an outstanding place. Um, I've been fortunate to do a little backpacking there with my family. 
Right. No, it is. And there are others like Patagonia Creek and, or excuse me, Sonoida Creek mm-hmm. um, yep. near Patagonia. You know, we have a lot of uh, real gems across the state. Oh, sure. And threatened endangered species. I know uh, Equus, the uh, Mexican garter snake occurs there. Um, and, you know, very few places in the United States can you find these animals. Yeah, the riparian ecosystems in Arizona are just so absolutely vital and delicate. Um, yeah, I can't imagine uh, putting them at risk like that. So let's let's assume the plaintiffs um, are successful. Uh, the Clean Water Act takes some hits. Um, what you know, the rest of the country is not in as a unique position as Arizona is as far as you know protecting our ephemeral waterways. What what are some what are some state level laws we have now um, to protect our waters that we could potentially fall back on? Are um, you know if necessary, if we needed to advocate for more protections in the state, what what would we be looking for? Right. Well, um, uh, that's a great question, and um, I mean, I, what I would point to is uh, sort of this current effort by the state to develop what you might call a state clean water act program. Um, they're calling it the Surface Water Protection Program. Um, and uh, we have to kind of go back again to 2020 when uh, the navigable waters protection rule really was seen as a, a potential threat to a lot of um, important uh, uh, streams and lakes in Arizona. Um, the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality went out uh, to the public and said, Look, this issue is is real. It's a it's a real concern for Arizona, and they actually initiated a a policy um, initiative to kind of try to fill the gap that the navigable waters protection rule created. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that was really a, a two year or so effort that ultimately led led to legislation that was passed in twenty twenty one. I see. I see. So there are potential fallbacks anyway. I mean, it's it's not not the end of the deal. We we can fall back on on state level laws, and and there is is room to you know to protect our waters here in the state. Well, there is there is so um, this twenty twenty one law that the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality is currently uh, implementing and developing rules uh, to implement. Um, unfortunately, does not protect ephemeral waters. So while it did step in uh, to try to, and I think successfully, uh, generally successfully filled the gap on those uh, headwater streams, kind of the isolated headwater streams like the Aravipas and others, um, and certain lakes as well, um, it expressly does not protect ephemeral uh, streams or even large ephemeral waters, um, uh, you know, some of some of our ephemeral streams are very large waters when they have uh, oh yeah stormwater running through them. Absolutely. All right. So, with uh, you know your your general Arizona citizen, um, you know, there's we can't do anything about the Supreme Court except sit back and, and hope for the best. But when it comes to state level advocacy, you know, there is work we can do. How, how can you, how would you advise your, your average citizen to advocate for uh, clean water protections in our state? 
Well, so um, I mentioned this uh, ADEQ rulemaking that's happening now to implement the surface water uh, protection program. Mm -hmm. uh, ADEQ just held a public hearing and ended a, a comment period, a public comment period on October 17th on that. Okay. Um, so hopefully uh, any, some of your listeners were already engaged in that process. Um, I'd say there's still opportunity to at least informally notify ADEQ okay. uh, that you support um, the work they're doing and that you support broad protections for Arizona's uh, waters, including, um, you know, isolated lakes and isolated headwater streams and ephemeral waters. Um, they uh, will... They're required by law, actually, to uh, finalize that rule by the end of this calendar year, so by December 31st of this year. Um, so there will be another uh, uh, ability round of formal comments. So I encourage people uh, to go to ADEQ's website, and if you just Google Arizona Surface Water Protection Program, uh, or whatever search engine you use, um, you should uh, find a really good website on there and information about opportunities to um, engage in their rulemaking effort. Great. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure and dig up that link and make sure folks get it. So for, for my own education, um, how, how does uh, the rulemaking with ADEQ relate to our state legislators? Do they have sway in that process? Well, so um, I think um, I think that that they actually um, don't, as a as a body, participate in rulemaking. You know, any individual legislature would certainly be welcome. I think, as a member of the public, to participate in that. Um, the legislature passed the the bill that uh, required this rule that requires ADEQ to write the rule. Okay. They, you know, and their bill there, which became law, um, it describes the scope of this rule, uh, which uh, types of waters uh, can be protected, which types are excluded from protection. And that would be the ephemerals. Um, and uh, then uh, ADQ really is on its own to set the policy through this rulemaking process. Okay. And can you predict uh, when we might hear a, a verdict on this case? On the Sackett case? Yep. Uh, so uh, typically the Supreme Court heard that argument earlier uh, in October, and typically uh, those decisions come down after they after the holiday uh, break. So when they come back uh, in in January, so okay. it could be any time early twenty twenty three. Gotcha. I see. Um, all right. Well, Joan, what are we leaving out here? What What else do folks need to know about this or to understand this process? Well, uh, gosh, I don't know uh, where to go with that. The uh, Sackett case, um, you know, really won't. Uh, dictate what happens in this Arizona specific effort, um, what the Arizona law is intended to do. And I think it does uh, fairly well is to sort of fill whatever gap uh, the federal policy leaves in Arizona. So the intention was if, you know, if, 
uh, say the navigable waters protection rule, which uh, is is gone now, but let's say the Sackett uh, decision, the Supreme Court says, we're going to narrow the scope of Clean Water Act jurisdiction. And in some fashion, it's going to affect, uh, let's say isolated lakes or uh, headwaters streams or ephemeral streams in Arizona. Um, the, the goal of the Arizona program is to say, okay, so now our state Clean Water Act program kicks in and those waters, or certain of those waters will be protected under our program. So the broader the Arizona uh, program scope is, um, the more it will step in if the Supreme Court limits, you know, the application of the Clean Water Act in Arizona. So it's, it's intended to kind of ebb and flow with federal policy. Um, and that's why it's very important, I think, that it be done well. Um, mm -hmm. And to the extent, you know, the public is involved um, in, in mass, uh, you know, uh, the general public is saying to ADQ, make this a real uh, effective program. You know, it, it's, I think it's going to be very meaningful at the Sackett. Yeah. Uh, if the court uh, comes down uh, and says, you know, we're going to really limit the Clean Water Act in this country. Gotcha. All right. And also for the listener's sake, and you, you probably already mentioned this, so forgive me if you did, but ADEQ is environmental, excuse me, environmental department. Ah, now I'm messing it up. Can, can you give us the acronym for ADEQ? Sure. Arizona yes. Department of Environmental Quality, correct? You got it. All yeah, right. Sorry. All that right. was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, well, Joan, um, can, can I ask you, and I guess this kind of puts you on the spot, and I apologize for that. I realize through this whole talk, we've been talking about why clean water is important, but can you give kind of your top level plea to your average folk out there of why clean water is so important and why we need protections for it at the federal level? Well, I mean, the federal uh, clean water policy has been really effective, right? We talked about that. It literally cleaned up um, our, our rivers that were open sewers. Um, and the other, you know, major uh, federal water quality law is the Safe Drinking Water Act. Um, and we get our drinking water uh, in many cases uh, from uh, rivers and streams and lakes. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's very important, obviously, for um, clean drinking water that these uh, rivers and lakes and canals in Arizona um, are, uh, uh, remain clean and safe uh, as drinking water sources. Um, so drinking water is obviously a key reason uh, that people care about clean water, um, you know, and you mentioned uh, the other reasons, which I think is, you know, the, that we have a healthy uh, environment, that we have uh, streams and lakes that support aquatic life, uh, that support uh, fowl and uh, wildlife that drink uh, this, from the streams and lakes. Um, and again, if uh, it, it's really this, uh, these Clean Water Act permit programs um, that are our main, um, uh, the main sort of policy uh, that protects the water quality in these places. Um, so uh, this surface water uh, quality um, uh, protection policies are, are, are very important for those reasons. 
Yeah, the, this stuff, uh, it touches every part of our lives from, from healthy drinking water to outdoor recreation, which is a huge industry in the state of Arizona that many, many businesses rely on. And I, I literally, I live here for, I moved to Arizona for the outdoor recreational opportunities. Um, so th there is a lot at stake here, you know, just, just a healthy environment, biodiversity. These are all thin, things that we depend on as well. Right. So yeah, I, I would call the, the clean water act an absolute success story. Um, for the past 50 years, and I, I would hate to see anything happen to it. But uh, if it does, I, I would like to see us uh, enact some some pretty pretty solid laws protecting our waters here in the state. Right, right. Well, with that, um, by all means, if there's anything that we've left out, um, please jump right back in. But uh, I, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for being here. Um, but also thank you for doing the important work that you do. Um, you know, it's, it's complicated uh, and, uh, and it's certainly important and not everybody can do it. So, so thanks for stepping up. Well, thanks. No, I'm, um, I've, I really enjoyed my uh, career in public service and I'm, I'm trying to carry that uh, on in my private law practice um, uh, because I agree it's, uh, it's important. Arizona is, is a beautiful place and, um, and we all love it. And, we want to take care of it. So it's important that our, yeah. our laws and policies do that as effectively as possible. I agree. Well, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you educating me and, and the listeners here on, on this important topic. All right. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, Joan. Thanks again. Bye. Well, I hope you're going to walk away from this episode informed on, on what's going on with water protections here in Arizona and, and with a better idea of how you can be an advocate for, for clean water uh, here in our state. You know, this is, this is not just important to hunters and anglers and bird watchers and paddlers. Uh, this is important to everybody. This is important to everybody that drinks water. This is important to everybody that wants to live a long and healthy and happy life here in Arizona. And I certainly qualify there. Uh, don't forget, uh, Arizona Wildlife Federation makes this podcast possible. Uh, please consider uh, supporting our organization. I've said it before and I will continue to say it. I am fiercely proud of this organization. We are a very pragmatic and science-based organization who advocates and fights for all things related to wildlife. I like to tell folks that we are the only organization with our finger on the pulse of the state legislature. Uh, it's not the, the funnest place to work um, in conservation. Most of us folks like to be outdoors, but this is where decisions are made, um, and it's important that we're part of the conversation. So that's what we provide for you as sportsmen. That's what we provide to you as nature enthusiasts, wildlife enthusiasts, hikers, backpackers, campers, uh, general outdoor recreationists. Please consider throwing some support behind us. Um, it would very much be appreciated. And uh, we will see you again in two weeks with a new show. Thanks for listening.